0: Welcome, welcome, one and all, to today's matchup. In corner number one, the petite brunette looking very confident, fighting with one hand in her pocket, the incredible Alanis Morissette. And in corner number two, the other petite brunette with stupid glasses and two hands behind his back, Rivers Cuomo. You ought to know it's going to be a knockdown, down drag-out fight here on today's Blue Album Battle.
1: Hello and welcome everyone to Blue Album Battle. The podcast will reappear peer into the music of the 90s through a blue- Album. Tinted lens. It's great to have you guys with us. Yes. It's going to be a very fun discussion today. We're all in need of some entertainment in these troubled times. Who knows when this episode
0: is being released, but we're recording on the, what is today, the 15th of March? The Ides of March. Yeah. So, uh, coronavirus has hit us all pretty hard, no matter where you are in the country or the world. Um, we're keeping a safe six feet from one another. Yep, we are no more than six feet away. Uh, we had to change the entire recording studio. We had to flip it over to make sure that we had enough space. Yes. normally we we're basically like cheek to cheek on the same love couch, oh, yeah. love seat. But uh, we are—we're really excited to be here, uh, recording and talking to you guys. We're—you sound do... excited. No, I am, of course. <laughs>
1: It's better that if I was talking like this. You, you know, guys, I'm really excited to talk about. Well, it's good that we have kind of a medical-themed album today, if you think
0: about it. Absolutely, yeah. That leads us right into our discussion. Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. That's right.
1: Released June 13th, 1995. 25 years ago, Chrissy. Can you believe it? That's nuts.
0: I, yeah. I definitely remember hearing a lot of these singles on the radio. They, I mean, they were
1: infectious. If you will, (laughs) (laughs) and I won't. Uh, Yes, I had the same experience. You know, uh, child of the '80s, coming of age in the mid '90s. I mean, this music was everywhere on the radio, all over MTV. And if you didn't like it, (laughs) you were in for kind of a a rough go. Yeah, no kidding. You know, waiting out for your Nirvanas and Becks of the world to come on the radio and hearing ironic every other song. It seemed
0: definitely. I feel like you had the same. uh, You had the same feelings about No Doubt. I sure did. Um, However, I liked this a lot better. Then no well, doubt. That's fair. yeah. I did at the time. I don't blame you. I think it's different. I think it was more unique at the time, and I think it is still unique. That's the thing that's so great about this. Even though this record still, in my opinion, sounds very dated, and yeah. ex- it stuck exactly where it was made, uh, right in the middle of the decade. It sounds like that now, but it is. It was unique when it came out, and it's unique now. So I, I think she's got that going for her, in terms of like the the sonics and the the quality of obviously her voice and and her vocal performance and everything. So and her lyrical intention. Yes, exactly.
1: As yeah. a as a 20-year-old, a 21-year-old at the time of the release of this record from what I understand. I mean, I can't imagine many artists even today so much raw emotion. Yes, being Unreal. this honest. Yeah. Um and this album was just so successful. Sold so many records. 15 million copies in the US. In the US alone. 16 times platinum. Yeah. Crazy. I remember buying this for my mom for a birthday. No way. Probably in
0: 1995. Did you buy
1: it on CD or vinyl? CD. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun fact, the hidden track at the end is only on the CD. It's not
1: on the vinyl. Oh, they couldn't fit it. Mm -hmm. Not enough grooves. Yeah, not enough grooves, baby. But there's tons of groove in this music, and we'll talk about it. Eh, debatable. (laughs) (laughs) Those electronic drums, man. Come on. They supply quite the pocket.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it sold... 33 million copies worldwide. It's earned five Grammys, including Album of the Year, and is now a successful Broadway musical. But is it better than Weezer's Blue album? Remains to be seen. Let's get into the battle and find out. Round one,
0: opening track. All right, folks, let's kick it off with a bang. Why don't we hear a touch of All I Really Want?
2: Do I stress you out? My sweater is on backwards and inside out And you say, how appropriate I don't want to dissect everything today I don't mean to pick you apart, you see, but I
0: Strong opener, if you ask me. You're looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you had no words to say. I, I hope you don't edit that silence out. No, no, that was pure just.
1: You were dumbfounded. I'm leaving the full 28 seconds of silence that just happened there. Uh, it is a good opener. You sound reserved. Well, it's an intro, It's here. It's actually a perfect opener.
0: I agree. Better than any other track, other than maybe you ought to know would be stronger.
1: That's. I have a very strong feeling about that.
0: Um. Yes. But, but I, th- I think this is a great mission statement for who she is as an artist and, and her intention with the record.
1: Musically and lyrically, I think the first minute of this, which brings us up to the first chorus, like not even getting to the chorus, it's really a microcosm of the whole album. Yeah. Sonically, lyrically. Exactly. In every sense. And so we get our wah guitar, wah distorted guitar, guitar. You know, so in other words, questionably affected guitar. <laughs> we have electronic drums. Uh-huh. We have- A stupid ass bass line. A stupid-ass, you know, digital, you know, kind of electronic bass line. And Alanis is very piercing in raw vocals. Exactly. Additionally, an incongruous harmonica. That she plays. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's her her instrument of choice at this time. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Does it work, though? Is it better than this?
0: Completely agree. Yeah, unfortunately. That being said, all I really want is probably one of my favorite songs on, on Jagged Little Pill. Oh, there you go. Um, so it, it was a tough decision, again, because I usually try to not make this category decided by which song do I like better. I really yeah. try to be as objective as possible and say which uh characterizes the band better. But I think it really comes down to um, the sonic treatment of, of this, really. Right. And I think that Jonas is just a, a better sounding song. I think it's just a more pure classic rock song. I don't think... All I really want is bad. But I I don't like wah guitar. I don't like electronic drums. I think her vocal performance is great. And I and I think the mission statement of the the content of the song and the lyrics and everything are great. Uh but I
1: I prefer I just prefer Jonas. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um I love the guitar lick in this song. It's based out of a mixolydian mode figure which mixolydian mode. You want to explain that for the listeners there, Chrissy? No. Okay, so Mixolydian mode is like it's like a major scale, but it has a lowered seventh note. So okay. if you imagine you're playing in the key of C, and you go C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, just going through the alphabet from C, that last note before the next C, that B, is actually flatted, so it's a B flat. So this outlines what's called a dominant seventh chord, or a seventh chord, which are very uncommon in 90s music. Like, I can think of the opening track to In Utero by Nirvana, uh, Serve the Servants. That uses a dominant seventh chord, it always stood out to me like, what is that sound? My goodness. I think they even use a 13 chord in there. Not that Kirk Obey knew he was doing that. Right.
0: He's just like, this sounds
1: fine. But uh, it's more synonymous with the 60s and 70s, you ah. know, particularly psychedelic rock. And so I actually think this music in the hands of a different producer and, in my view, a different singer would be a song I'd really like. But as it stands and as it's treated, it's not a song I really enjoyed listening to at a certain point. In fact, when I put on this record like a couple weeks ago in preparation for this for the first time, I was like, oh God, this is going to be a long couple weeks. (laughs) Frankly, this is a song that like Alanis is putting it all out there. If you're not on board with this song, you're probably not on board with Alanis. Mm. And I'm not saying... So then what are you? We're going to find out over the course of these 10 rounds, but... (laughs) I am totally open to giving these songs a fair shake, and I think I did. And I think we'll see that as we go through our scoring and go through our rounds. But this song, I just I just couldn't get behind and I found myself always wanting to skip it. Spoiler alert Ooh. for round nine. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> so two points for Weezy here early on, even though I will say it's a great opener for this record. Yes. All I really want is a wonderful opener for this record. I just don't like it. Completely agree. Round two, Heart songs. So this is nice. So I kind of just got more opinionated in that last category. This is a category where it's really all about opinion. It's not Mm -hmm. about, is this a great song? Is this a bad song? It's about, do I love this song? Mm -hmm. Do I want to listen to this? Is this making playlists of mine? Is this something I'd want to share with a friend and be like, have you heard this? So Chris, what do you think? Heart songs. First, establish your Weezer heart songs number. How many songs do you love off of Blue?
0: Off of Blue, I love seven out of the ten fantastic songs on the Blue album. Those seven songs are Jonas world is turned buddy holly sweater song surf wax america say it ain't so and holiday seven out of ten that's
1: pretty good jagged little pill has 12 proper tracks 12
0: proper tracks one hidden
1: track one remix Mm -hmm. as it stands now um of those we'll say 13 songs you're meaning the the hidden we'll say your house is a song okay that's fine because it is
0: it yeah no doubt how many heart
1: songs do you have
0: four for those of you uh who like percentages Weezer has a 70% heart song. Yeah. Jack Little Pill, 33. Yeah. Not so good.
1: Not so good. Um, and maybe even less, actually, now, because if we're counting 13 songs. but Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I just did, sprung I did, on you right I, yeah, now. Yeah, I did do that at 12. I can't do that kind of calculation. Beep boop, beep boop, beep boop. Does not compute. Uh, but we did learn on the last Weezer shuffle on Weeze talking and Weez to City, you do do a hell of a modem sound.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I do. Listen to that episode. I'm not going to do it here. Um, so yeah, if you want to know what those four songs are, they I do. Are all I really want you ought to know right through you and ironic. <laughs>
1: wow, <laughs> nice. W- why are you laughing so much? I think because of ironic. Really? Because I think in the Atlantis terms, I think it's ironic that you chose that song as a heart song, and we'll talk about that more. I suppose so. Yeah. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's, it's so.
0: Classic at this point. That's an scc right there. That song is a stone cold classic. Everybody knows that fucking. But song.
1: here's my issue with you choosing that. You did not choose. Don't speak off. No doubt because of its ubiquity and because of its overplayedness. Yeah. Do you think ironic's a better song than no than don't speak? Kinda. Oh my god. I really. Don't. I could not disagree with you more than that's my all right. It is okay. But it's, I'm just shocked because you've used that as an argument against so many songs. I know. I know. And then the most overplayed song on this record, and arguably, in my opinion, the worst song on this record is ironic. And Man, that's ironic. I I just think it's a piece of garbage. I just Jeez. hate the sound of it and the Holy writing of it. Smokes. So I I'm shocked that you think it's a it's a song you love. Uh yeah, it's pretty good. I did
0: have an honorable mention though, uh, for "You Learn." Oh, right on. That was really really close, but it's just it's a little too sappy. Um, <laughs> but I like the chorus and I love that harmonic that she goes to. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Which is really impressive. When she breaks into falsetto there, mm-hmm.
1: which is definitely a vocal trick she uses a lot. So and,
0: um, that's like really really challenging. So I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Okay, so for me, Weezer has six heart songs. List them. (laughs) My name is Jonas. The world has turned and left me here. Buddy Holly. Say it ain't so. Holiday. And only in dreams. The closer. Six good ones. Yeah. What do you think my number is for Alanis? Oh, God. Maybe two. Oh, you underestimate me. I actually chose four. Wow. It was three for a very long time. and Uh And I just added one last night. Because I was writing why I would have chosen it as an honorable mention and what kept me from, you know, making it a heart song as I was listening to it mm-hmm. late last night. And I thought, what am I talking about? I'm like, yeah, all that's true. All that I'm thinking is true. But this is, I want to listen to this every time. I love this song. Okay, you know, cool. So So my choice is there. I have four and they are You to Know, which is my number one heart song by far on this record. Hand in My Pocket. Wow. A grower, not a shower. I would say that's not a that's song. That's not title. a song. That's not a song. <laughs> <laughs> that was about another ex-boyfriend. <laughs> oh boy. Or maybe it was about Dave Coulier as well. Um, Forgiven, huh. which is the song I was just describing. And lastly, in the Pearl Jam Ocean Memorial Oddball Ballad slot, Mary Jane. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> we have
0: so such differing opinions on this record. Yes, we do. This is ridiculous. Yes,
1: we do. Now, the thing with forgiven... I, I had trouble with the sound, with the sonic approach to that song, which is almost like a caricature of what they thought grunge was, like heavily chorused guitars yeah. and the nature of the chord progression and everything. But like, it reminded me a lot of a song by Pearl Jam called Tremor Christ. I mean, it's not as well produced and it's not as kind of dark, but even though the lyrical themes are dark, talking about Christianity and why we turn to religion and all that stuff. but. I it had enough elements that I, uh, harmonically and lyrically and just all around musically that I was like, this is a cool song. I like the lyrics a lot.
0: Yeah. Not a huge fan of how the song sounds. No. Or the chord progression, really. I think it's just, it's very average. Right. Um, But I, I really like the, the lyrics.
1: Uh, a song, you know, hand in my pocket. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed listening to it because when it was out as a single and the video was everywhere, I, I thought, oh God, again, I, I, I just didn't like it at all. I thought it's useless. But... I don't know. By the time I got to that third chorus, every time I found myself getting the feels.
0: You know? That's cool. You know what I'm so surprised by? What's that? I'm surprised that you like the content of Hand in My Pocket. Do you know why? Why? Because I don't know if you remember this, but back on our old show, Wee's Talking we's to Thee, when we discussed everything will be alright in the end, yeah. and we were talking about the song Da Vinci. Yeah. You were talking about how much you hate the lyrics in the chorus of Da Vinci. Because of this, then this. Because of this then this. Right. Because of this then that. And you talked about your distaste for that. Oh, I thought I liked that. No. You said, I thought that was cool, and you were like, no, fuck that. That's stupid.
1: Really? I, I thought I cited Gershwin as the the forebearer of that approach to lyrics. Go, I didn't like the verses of Da Vinci. I do not share your enthusiasm for this song. Oh, no. I didn't realize it was a derided song, but I do... Um, I love the choruses. The yeah. verses are kind of stupid. The verses annoy me. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think the lyrics are the reason I really like this song. I think being hand in my pocket, I think that it's... I'm not a fan of how they use programmed drums on this record in general, yeah. but I like the grittier sound of these clearly being filtered mm-hmm. through some distortion and some overdrive, having a little bit more texture to them than just the hyper-clean, well be Day or Michael Jackson electronic drums that are used on other spots on this record. Additionally, I really like the electric guitar tone, which is like a, a Epiphone 12-string electric played by Glenn Ballard, who's oh, the co-writer and the producer, the producer of, yeah. of this record. Um, I... I don't know. I just kind of dug it. I thought it's her best harmonica playing on the album. Yeah. It works the best here. No, I'm with you on that. But the bass line fucking sucks. Yeah, and it's a synth bass.
0: It's so boring.
1: Uh, before we move on to the next category, uh, just some honorable mentions for me would be Perfect, which I really like musically but had reservations about lyrically. Um, you like that song? Perfect. Yes, I do. Man. And Right Through You. That that song fucking slaps. <laughs>
0: That, that, I think that's my favorite song on the on the album.
1: Wow! So that would be your number one Heart song.
0: Probably that, or You Ought to Know. Oh, Okay, that, those would be neck and neck. <laughs> I you could say
1: that or ironic. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no, no. Ironic was my
1: fourth Heart song, and it was the last to sneak in. Right on. Yeah, I do have one last honorable mention. Here's the thing: there were so many like mid tier songs. Sure, there's songs I really don't like on this record, and we'll mm-hmm. hear about them in in round nine. Skip fa. But uh, there was a lot of mid tier stuff that I was like, ah. You learn, perfect. These songs were all kind of occupying the same space in my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the last of those would have been Wake Up. Okay. Which uh, I actually really dig. I like the choruses. I think it's good. But when it came down to it, I was like, I am not putting this on any playlists that I would ever listen to. I'm not saying, have you heard this Alanis Morissette song? And if it's going to be a heart song, it's got to be something like that. Yeah. Where weirdly, I could see showing someone forgiven and being like, have you heard this song?
0: Yeah, it's actually really cool.
1: Isn't it cool? Totally. Like, how did we miss this song? Heart song ability, AKA playlist ability. Yeah. Well, Weezer's got some heart song ability. Yo, big time. Yeah. They...
0: Commanding lead. Four to zero, moving into round three. Round three, lyrics.
1: The first difficult category for me,
0: like truly challenging.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like all I really want, and I don't love a lot of songs on Jack like, Little <laughs> Pills. No, so no, yeah, this is the first time I had to really think about what do I want to give credit for. Yeah, this was the last uh, round that I decided. on. Me too. Cool. Yeah, just like with Pearl Jam, honestly. Like I, 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 I almost left it till the very end till we recorded, but I did decide ultimately, and I decided to go with Alanis here. Cool. And the reason is. Her consistency doesn't even come close to rivaling that of Rivers. Rivers on Blue Album is a very consistent, measured, quality lyricist. There are silly moments, but none that make me go, this disqualifies this song. Sure. But when you take big swings, like Alanis does, the topics she chooses to address, the Mm -hmm. way she chooses to address them, frankly, you're going to have some pretty big fucking misses. Like You're not always going to have swings and hits. Right. So I decided to credit the degree of difficulty that Alanis brings into her lyrical construction and give her the edge over Rivers, even though I like his songs more consistently throughout Blue.
0: Yeah. It's like a player who can make a jump shot every time in the paint versus the guy who has a lower
1: percentage behind the arc. Yeah, like Steph Curry can hit 40-foot, you know, three-pointers versus LaMarcus Aldridge, who's hitting 18-footers at like a 60% clip. It's like, who would you rather watch? Well, when it comes down to it, Steph Curry. There you go. Even though he's only going to shoot, I mean, Believe me, he shoots better than anyone who's ever done it, but he's still 50%. Yeah. yeah. You know, at best. Exactly, so. exactly. Any basketball fans out there? Yeah, sorry. Crickets. No basketball for you. <laughs> oh, you're saying that no basketball fan would ever listen to this show. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Except for, like, maybe Evan Regan,
0: if he's listening to this. Yeah, Evan.
1: Hey, uh, Zim, what did you think? I also
0: gave this to Alanis. Oh, right on. Yeah, it was not by any means a landslide. No. Uh, Definitely challenging, and very similar to the to the way you describe it, I think Rivers was a more uh, fine-tuned and maybe a little bit more um, abstract writer. You know, he he came up with ways to say things that were not blunt. Uh, you right. Know, he, I he, think
1: blunt's he, a great word for Alanis.
0: Exactly. Like in My Name is Jonas, where he says, come sit next to me, pour yourself some tea, just like Grandma made when we couldn't find sleep. Yeah. I feel like Alanis would say something like, I can't sleep, Yeah, I don't I don't want to be rude, uh, but I don't know. You I should think... say, when I was an insomniac. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> like I, just just the, when we couldn't find sleep. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a, a very eloquent way of, of writing that. So I think Rivers at the time uh, was a more eloquent writer, and he had a lot of similes and, and just kind of out-of-the-box thinking when it came to writing his lyrics, where Alanis is just, this is what's on my mind, I'm going to say it as bluntly as possible. And also, uh, to her credit, I think, There were were not many women who were big stars who were speaking like this, right? uh, Like empowering women and saying, "Hey, listen, breakups suck for us too." Um, You know, I really got fucked in this, Um, and I think that's that was a great, uh, amazing job on her part for putting it out there. and And big shout out to Glenn Ballard, uh, the producer, for really supporting her and saying, "No, this is exactly what it should be." Because she actually came; she had all these songs written um, with just lyrics and melody. And came to him and said, I don't know if I can put this out. And he said, absolutely, you can. This is a big deal. You need to, you need to release this record exactly as you've written it.
1: Um, so that was, re- I think that's really awesome. Well, there was some that she, I mean, they wrote a lot of this together. I know he wrote most of the music. Yeah, but I'm saying like even lyrically, like he watched her write songs like Hand in My Pocket. And Ironic was the first song they wrote together. And like, so I don't think it was exclusively like that, but I don't doubt that either. Because a lot of these feel like diary entries. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's honestly her biggest appeal is is Atlantis's willingness to unsparingly tackle like life's biggest topics, you know, religion and heartache and loss and all these things, like, and to do it in a very pure and honest way.
0: Yeah, and if you think about it, her her lost stories are way less cringy than River's lost story in Blue Album. You know, that's way worse. That's way creepier. What R- do you mean by that? Like in World Is Turned, Rivers literally looks at a picture of. His ex girlfriend in a wallet photograph, and then basically masturbates to it. Mm. That's fucking
1: creepy, <laughs> right? And the sexuality, the frank sexuality that Alanis brings to this album throughout the record, but particularly on "You Ought to Know." And I think the lesser heard, but really quality, right through you. Yep, uh, is she... really unmatched for any woman. This is not from a sexy place; it's from right. a sexual place. Yes, right?
0: absolutely. Yeah, her human desires, and she fucking owns it. And yeah. I think that's really empowering and awesome.
1: And for those of you who don't know, uh, that song, Right Through You, describes an affair that, I guess, a 14-year-old Alanis had with an older record executive. And, I mean, just listen to this verse.
2: You took me for a joke You took me for a child You took a long, hard look at my ass And then played golf for a while You shake us like a fish You pet me on the head you took me out the line
1: Yes, she did, in fact, just say Wine Dine
0: 69, That's the best lyric on the album. <laughs> that's, so, I mean, and I think another point that's actually really important to think about is I didn't know this record going in, apart from the singles, which obviously are are massive and I knew, but listening to it from start to finish, I heard every lyric that she said mm. and I understood them all and I was affected by them
1: yeah, emotionally on first listen. And I think right there you're describing the appeal to millions of people, particularly young people, particularly young women. Exactly. And forevermore, young women are going to have a moment with this record. I hope so. I yeah. don't think it's dated enough to disqualify it from being an evergreen adolescent yeah. touchstone record. Definitely. Yeah, For-
0: whereas you look at the, the evergreenness of, of uh, Blue, and it's I think it's evergreen in just that. It Like, sonically, it just sounds like a a standard rock record. Could have been released 20 years later, 20 years earlier.
1: But the nerdy isolationism of it as well will always appeal to a certain subset of 12 to 16-year-old boys.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: It just will. I'm not saying women don't like Weezer, but, like, they don't like him like young boys like Weezer. It's true. Just in the same way young boys don't like Alanis like young girls like Alanis.
0: Yeah, it's kind of just how it is. Um, So, yeah, I think think Alanis nailed the lyrics. I think she put herself out there um, really... Whether she meant to empower young women
1: or not, I think she, she accomplished it. Uh, another lyrical trend of hers throughout the record, Alanis likes lists. She loves lists. All I Really Want, Hand in My Pocket, You Learn, Not the Doctor, and future single thank you from this album's follow-up, Supposed Former Infatuation Junkie. I had to write that down. I never remember the name of that fucking album. I'm impressed you could say it at all. (laughs) I know. With my speech impediment and everything, I'm kind of proud of that, too. Um, I have a lot more lyrical examples. I will say this. Alanis, every song has a quality and strong premise. I don't know if she always delivers on the premise, but every song, head over feet, involuntarily falling in love with someone who's actually good for you. What a great premise. Yeah. Do I think those are great lyrics throughout? No. But God, like... That's a great thing to sing about. Great concept. You know, and it's kind of harkens back to like the classic, the old classic standard, like you made me love you. I didn't want to do it, which is like this timeless song. I think this is capturing that same sort of essence, but in a modernized way. I say that for an album that's 25 years old, but you understand my meaning. Of course. Bringing it into the modern culture. Um, She's a good writer. And I would say at the very least, this album taught me the terms chicken shit, which I had never heard before. And I love that it was censored. And I was like, "What, what was that word? Yeah. What are they leaving out there? Like, mm-hmm. there was no logical next word after chicken to my ear as right. a 12-year-old, you know, when I first heard Hand in My Pocket. And also what it means to go down on someone. I did not know what that meant until I heard this. That's big. Yeah.
2: Round four.
1: Vocals. Alanis strikes back. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that a girl. That a woman. She's a strong... No, she was a girl at the time. She at was, the time. <laughs> so young. Yeah, seriously. That, which is another thing, like, degree of difficulty. Just... I can't, I just... You know, I think of my students, some of whom are like 17, 18 years old. like Writing that,
0: shit like this I mean, at that age. I mean, next boy. level. I
1: actually do have one student who could probably write something this good. She's a very good songwriter. Um, but, and about to go to Berkeley, actually, to study song College craft. of Music?
0: or Berkeley College of Music. Cool.
1: Yes, yeah, very exciting. But uh, And she's a big Atlantis fan, right which up. is part of what Makes informs sense. my understanding of, yeah, she endures, you know? No
0: doubt, yeah. So moving into another round that is most likely going to be dominated, I would assume by Alanis, vocal performance. I like to say that she has an incredibly polarizing singing style and voice because she does not have a a quote-unquote normal voice when she sings or a, I guess what you would consider like a standard singing voice. I don't even know if she has a, a good voice, to be blunt, but the style that she chooses to sing in, this kind of like slightly talking, not really rapping, but just like, Just using her voice, however it comes out. Um, Incredibly unique and cool and uh, kind of iconic at this point, you know? Like, you know it's going to be an Atlanta song. You know exactly what she sounds like. There's no one else that sounds like her. So, yeah, I'm
1: giving it to her for sure. Mm, Yeah, and that's almost like the Eddie Vedder argument. Yeah. However, I don't know how many singers she influenced because it's such a singular style. Yeah, exactly. Less of an influence and
0: more of a she... She broke onto the scene. She said, "This is who I am," and no one even tried right. to emulate
1: it. And I can hear elements of Sinead O'Connor, Sarah McLaughlin, Bob Dylan at times, mm-hmm. even in, like uh,
0: Janis Joplin.
1: Sure, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, when she just lets it fly. Yeah, and it should be noted that her vocals on this record are the original demo vocals, usually recorded in one or two takes. They would later flesh out the instrumental tracks, but when it came time to finalizing vocals, I think Ballard just said, "These are them. Like we got it." Because their intention with this record was to make a quick record, put it together fast, and then make the proper record after. Like they Mm. were signed to Maverick Records, which is a a label co-founded by Madonna, uh, after having released two albums as like a pop singer back in her native Canada that never broke through here to America, that never even released in America at the time, um, as a teenager. And then she kind of found this more mature style, met up with Ballard, got signed to uh, Maverick, and put this together really quickly. And frankly, it shows And in a way, I kind of like and admire that, and I would say in some songs, You Oughta Know is a great example, it totally works, this raw, unrefined style, but then on other parts of the record, I go, God, I wish you just had another take at that, or I wish they had softened the blow and softened the edges of some of those vocalizations, like on All I Really Want, I feel that way. I just The voice is so out front and so crisp and stark, and I just find it a turnoff. And I'm going to say right now, I'm giving my points to Weezer. I Whoa. do not like Alanis' voice, and I do not like her singing at all. Ooh, shots fired.
0: Maybe <laughs> starting <to> fight.
1: <laughs>
0: a fight. <laughs> people, people who, uh, people who like Weezer, I'm sure will agree with you. And and I think most of the people who listen to the show are listening because they're Weezer fans. But yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think, I, like I said, I think it's very polarizing. Right. You know? Um. All I really want, I think, is one of the coolest vocal performances ever. Um, especially the way she says uh, words that end in er, like <laughs> "kill the killer" or yeah. "meet the maker." Um, There's a
1: little Hetfield and Vetterism in there. The way she cuts off words yeah. throughout this record too. Totally. She has a way of yeah, totally, know?
0: yeah. Or and just when she doesn't even say anything and she just goes I, I, I or whatever. Absolutely. Like I, I can definitely understand why people would not like that.
1: Like she gets a lot of mileage out of the word "settle" here and "you learn." Uh- Just to make sure you're hearing me, not once did I call her a bad singer. I do not think Alanis is bad. I do not like her singing. That's fair. I find it generally distracting and off-putting. I don't like how this record sounds in general, but if maybe the vocals are treated a little differently, like honestly in You Learn where they use a little bit of artificial double tracking, ADT, Mm -hmm. to kind of smooth out the vocal sound. Yeah. And in a lot of the bridges of this album, there's some very cool vocal mixing sure and affecting
0: yeah well like how they lay the uh, they do so much of the chorus they lay like that chorus effect over her voice in yeah. all I really want and wake up yeah which I do not like at all gotcha but that's that's not vocal
1: performance that's that's production that's more production so right. we' we'll, we'll get there yeah <laughs> Um, I do. Th- I think she's a better singer than Gwen Stefani who we covered in episode two like if I had to choose a singer I'd choose Alanis
0: Yeah, you know what's so funny I don't even remember if I chose Rivers or Gwen
1: <laughs> I'm sure you chose Gwen and weirdly I did too but it was for vocal arranging more than oh, for yeah, so singular vocal performance yeah. when it comes to vocal arranging on Jagged Little Pill I, I do think there is some but what some. actually keeps me from giving that the edge over Weezer is that it's all overdubbed by Alanis Right, So harmonies just blend so seamlessly and so well, but they almost lessen their impact because it's her. Like, I love the harmony on the choruses of Wake Up. I love some of the harmonies throughout this record. But flaws and all, I'd much rather hear Matt Sharp and Brian Bell singing alongside Rivers Of course, than as Elena I think singing. most
0: people would. Yeah. And I think the only exception to that is literally Gwen Stefani on Tragic Kingdom. Sure. Like, I think that's some of the coolest overlaying. I guess um, Tony
1: Canal tried to sing some falsetto to like back her up in the soprano range. It wasn't happening.
0: Did that actually happen? No. Okay. <laughs> you always have me going for a second. I'm, I'm very sorry. Um Just a few other little bits about her vocal performance that I think really, really stand out. Um, I said it before. I love the octave switch that she does where she just leaps up an entire octave just by turning on her falsetto in the chorus of You Learn. I think that's really cool. Everybody knows that. Um, and then I really like the harmonies during the chorus of ironic. I think those are, I think those are kind of cool. It's, it's like, cause one it's is really good. One is her singing and one is her like screaming, sure. but they, they blend. And it's kind of, I think that's the nice thing about overlaying your own voice is when you have two people, it's hard to get uh, two singers that meld well, even if you're singing the right notes, like you and I will harmonize, but it doesn't sound the same thing as if like I laid my own voice and harmonized with myself. Sure. You wanna try that real quick? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's do the chorus of Ironic. <laughs> oh. Talk about biting off more than you can chew.
2: Round five.
1: Production and sound. From some difficult categories to a pretty no-brainer category, I have to, I have to think. For production, yeah, absolutely. It's it's hands down weezer. Yeah. Rick Cassix work on Blue Album has to take it here.
0: That's where this uh, like we always say, evergreen quality is. It's the sound of ever blue, if you will. Uh, ever blue, I like that. Uh, this record just sounds like it could have been made twenty years before it came out, twenty years after it came out. It's just a clean-sounding rock record. It's guys in a room making music, and it sounds timeless. Mm-hmm. If you took the lyrics out and, and subbed it with any other singer and any other lyric, you've just got you know four dudes playing four instruments that sound really, really awesome. Right. Whereas this, the the wah guitar, the electronic drums, the synth bass. There, and like the chorus effect on her voice, I don't know, there's a lot of production sort of snafus that I, A, date
1: the record, and B, that I just don't like, personally. And we mentioned him a couple times already, Jackie Little Pill was co-written and co-produced by really an A-list music producer by the mid-90s, a guy named Glenn Ballard, whose pre-Atlantis collaborators include Lee, proud to be an American Greenwood, Feelabilia, which apparently is a thing that exists, uh, and Shaka Khan. Oh, and also folks like Babs Streisand, Paul Abdul, Celine Dion, and a singer with the initials M and J.
0: Michael Jordan never had a, a solo album.
1: That's did true. He, he wasn't that Michael Jackson, but oh. Oh, 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 that's Yeah, it. That's that it. MJ. Yeah, and you can hear kind of all of those influences here. I think particularly in the mixing of electronic percussion mm-hmm. and the smoothness of some of the tones. Hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, and also an electric guitar tone that I can describe no other way than neutered.
0: Quite a way. <laughs> I, I a can't, way. I don't think I've ever heard a guitar tone described as nude. Yeah. It's just, what, g- just like naked or, or like. Lacking in nut. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. <laughs> like, you ought to know rips by the last chorus. Yeah, because go- you
0: got Dave Navarro playing guitar. <laughs> I actually fucking hate
1: that guy. You hate Dave Navarro? Not a big fan. Oh, that's not nice. He just always seemed like a douchebag. Oh, well, he, yeah, he just looks a little too cool. Yeah, to and he like dated, he was
0: he was married to Carmen, Carmen Electra, Election. and I was so jealous. Oh, I had the sure. biggest crush on Carmen Electra. Really? Like, oh my god, I was obsessed. Wow! I just thought she was the, the the epitome of, of I don't know what a woman should be.
1: I hear that he looked a lot like her father, and it's fitting because she had an Electra complex.
0: I get it. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> I wonder how, what percentage of our audience would get that joke. I don't even get it, so. Oh, Electra is the female equivalent of the Oedipal Complex. Is it really? It is. No shit. Yes, yes, yes. I definitely
0: knew the Oedipal Complex. Part. Sure.
1: Yeah, it's when you want to eat something. Oh, no, Oedipal. No, no, Oedipal.
0: no. I believe it's... Isn't it
1: the Oedipus Complex? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. We sound like a bunch of idiots right now. We sound like a bunch of idiots persistently. <laughs> That's a great point. Until I use the word persistently, which I bet you didn't expect. No, not at all. But anyway, neutered... <laughs> What's funny, though, is uh, so last night, driving home, uh, you and I played a nice round of disc golf up in uh, at Borderland State Park in Massachusetts.
0: Yeah, we sure did. Everybody and their mother was there because it's the only place that's open well- during the coronavirus.
1: <laughs> that's right. It, it was actually really great. I was like, thank God people are actually going outside. I know. It was actually heartening <laughs> on a certain level. Definitely. But anyway. made for a long round. But I was driving home, and I was thinking about Alanis' peers, and it put me in the mood to listen to Sarah McLachlan. I can safely say I haven't put Sarah Ma- I've never owned a Sarah McLachlan CD. Me neither. I've never put her on on Spotify. I've only heard her what I've heard in the world. And do you know who Sarah McLachlan is?
0: Yeah, the one from the Sad Puppy
1: commercial. Exactly, the PETA commercials. Those are the only Sarah McLachlan songs I know. Yeah, Angel, (laughs) right? Arms of the Angel, which she actually wrote about Kurt Cobain. Jeez. Yeah. But uh, her 1993 record, uh, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, which produced some singles Great title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it is a great title. And she's a great writer and a great singer. And when I listened to- The hits off that record on the drive home last night from our round of disc golf, uh, Possession and Hold On, which by the way, Hold On was actually on the No Alternative compilation, which was like one of the first alternative rock compilations ever put together. Featuring people like Pavement, Soundgarden, Soul Asylum, Smashing Pumpkins, and Nirvana on a hidden track. But McLaughlin was really the voice of female alternative in the early 90s. And when I listened to that, I said, oh, I get it. Ballard heard this and said, yeah, we'll make a record that sounds like that. There you go. You know, smoothed out guitars, heavily affected, electronic drums, synth bass at times, so there's some great actual bass on Jagged Little Pill that we'll talk about in a few categories. But that's also something that places it very much in time. You know, Mm -hmm. they weren't trying to make it sound like a late 70s heart record or something. Right? They were trying to make it sound like what was successful in the female alternative rock realm, Sarah McLachlan, Sinead O'Connor, people like that. And I even heard an anecdote recently that getting songs from Jagged Pill played on the radio was difficult to do because it was like pr- programmers would say, we already uh, have Sinead O'Connor. So, you know, like there was only like, one do we slot need. for yeah. that artist. Which is bullshit. Yeah, and, and obviously such. that did change over the course of the 90s and you heard people like, though they're softer, Jewel, Lisa Loeb, these kind of people, mm, Jill yeah. Sobuel. I'm just thinking of like female solo artists who emerged. I'm sure uh, Paula Cole, all the Lilith people. Yeah. You know, Anyway, but I was like, oh, I kind of get this sound now. I don't like this sound. And frankly, I enjoyed the Sarah McLaughlin songs, but maybe we'll have to put this on a Blue On Battle in the future because it was a, kind of a nice record. But it's walking that line between pop and alternative and, and certainly not really breaching that line yeah. <laughs> enough for our ears. Totally. Whew. Quite a discussion. Sure is. I mean, I don't think that Jagged Little Pill is devoid of good production choices and good mixing moments and good, you know, like there's elemental pieces of merit throughout the record, but just as, you know, speaking holistically. Yes. No way. I mean, this is not an album that I'd. if someone showed me this album and said it came out this year, I'd be like, this sounds terrible. Why are you showing me this? (laughs) Turn it off, please. Yeah. Well, maybe if they altered the album in some way, we would feel differently. And here's our opportunity. We're at the midway point here. Weezer is up 7-3. to We've seen bigger comebacks on the Blue Album Battle in the past. But right now, we have a chance to augment Jagged Little Pill with a Weezer track. Chris the Younger, explain this concept to the listener.
0: Yeah, so because Weezer is such a diverse uh, and varied group throughout their career and have released a a multitude of records that have very different sounds from one another, we feel as though Weezer is the perfect band to compare to uh, other bands or artists. And so we have decided to try every episode to pick a Weezer song that could possibly fit into the record that we're talking about right now.
1: Something that's proven occasionally
0: very difficult. Very difficult. Pretty much all the time, honestly. So this one... I wouldn't say it was easy or challenging. I kind of thought about it, and I think, well, what kind of, what if any, um, Weezer record sounds like this sonically? And the answer is none of them. Um, And so I thought, all right, what's what's a more poppy record? And then I looked to Pacific Daydream, and I'm like, no, that's way too mid two thousands or you know twenty teens. It doesn't sound like Atlantis doesn't have any of this electronic really, other than the drum tracks, but too different. Uh, and so then I kind of thought more lyrically I'm like what sounds like a song that uh, Alanis would sing And hear me out If you replace the drums with electronic drums And had Alanis sing the lyrics I feel as though Troublemaker could be an Alanis song interesting uh explain i think it's just it's just poppy enough it still has some distorted guitar and and electric stuff um but i think she was kind of upsetting the music industry and saying hey this is who i am and and she's just like uh she's a troublemaker and she doesn't give a shit and this is just you know who she is right yeah all right kind of kind of a stretch I support that kind of a stretch but think about it listen listen to that and and imagine not real drums and maybe wah guitar.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's almost the all I really want opener slot and mm. boom. Uh yeah, and it's kind of listy as well, you exactly. know, giving different reasons why I'm such like a like the whole idea of
0: like marrying a bitch, having seven kids, <laughs> growing old and hoping there's a god. That sounds like an Alanis lyric.
1: Yeah. The way he even says bitch. I don't think she would sing the word bitch. No. But if she oh, started- Meredith Brooks is another person by the way. With her song "Bitch," I was just thinking of other female alternative artists. Oh, there you go. go. There's, There's one.
0: But like, think about it. If she's like marrying a Tracy Bonham, just imagine if she's like marrying a dick, having seven kids. Yeah, sing, growing...
1: sing dick like
0: Rivers sings "Bitch." Oh, like Rivers or not like Alanis. okay. Marrying a duck having seven kids. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. But seriously, yeah, though, that's that perfect. followed by growing old and hoping there's a god. Yeah. That sounds like
1: something Alanis would sing. It does. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, cool, that's a cool choice, and, and I have to say, I actually went with a Red Album choice as well, and I went through the same thought process as you. Let me go with their heavily produced stuff from the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Let me look there first, Black Album and Pacific Daydream, and I was like, no, no song stylistically really works with no, this particular brand not of at all. poppy rock stuff Can that Can I take Atlanta a guess stuff. at what you said? Of course.
0: I want to say Cold Dark World. Oh, wow, Which
1: Shrine you... and Bright. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I listened to that song today. Did you? Yeah, I listened to all of Red on the drive down here.
1: Wow. Funny enough. I I that's I love that record so much. Man, you really do. I do. <laughs> it's bad. Well, then I'm assuming you heard this one, but I have a hunch you probably skipped it. My choice is Thought I Knew. Really? Mr. Bell. Oh, no. His solo songwriting and vocal contribution to 2008's Red album. And the reason I chose this is because it's got lame electronic drums. A weak acoustic guitar tone, and I'd probably like it better if someone else was singing it. <laughs>
0: Uh, Checks all the boxes. That's really fucking funny. (laughs) Uh, Especially my favorite part of that song, and by favorite I mean stupidest part, is Uh that right at the beginning where it's like, pew, 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 pew. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs)
1: Which, like, that's kind of fun in certain contexts, but not a Weezer record. Everything about, that's my least favorite song on the album. Easily. It's bad. Was it our black album choice? Probably. Oh, no. Maybe mine was Everybody Get Dangerous. But that Yours was probably was Everybody Get Dangerous.
0: No, no. Thought I knew is way worse. Because
1: musically, I actually, and, and vocal, and like the melody of that song is actually pretty good. The, the chorus is oh, fucking it's cool. so good.
0: I just, I really honestly wish Rivers was singing it.
1: Oh, man. Absolutely. And what's weird is I don't actually mind Brian Bell's voice. Like, in general. No, I just not at think all. It, he just didn't sing it well. It didn't work well. Yeah, not at all. All right, well, that's enough about Weezer's Red album. Apparently, we just got a sub podcast We here. could
0: try a Red album battle.
1: <laughs> it would get demolished. It'd be, oh, every... it's sixteen by the end of the first season.
0: Nah, I would vote every time. <laughs> every time, ten points, ten out of ten. Well, let's move on. Okay.
2: Round six riffs.
1: Seven three Weezer. Oof. Entering t- the back half, not insurmountable. No, not a mountain size of deficit.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. But this is going to be a challenge for Atlantis, no doubt, because we all know that the the last five rounds are are pretty. Weighted in in Weezer's uh, favor just because they did such a good job at all of them. Uh, but that being said, we are we're here we're now we're in riffs. You guys should know something before we get into this conversation. Chris and I kind of had a little bit of a heated debate before we started recording, and it was that's why we're so on edge today. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really ticked off at Chrissy, yeah, and um, I'm trying not to. Let I'm it... mad at me too. Yeah, as you should be. So, <laughs> <laughs> no. So we were talking about. Um, what constitutes a riff? Because when we talked about uh, Wu Tang Clan, I put in a lot of vocal riffs just because, you know, everything else is a, a soundbite or a mix or something or a sample. And so I kind of did the same thing with this record because Alanis has so many unique moments where she performs uh, just a really iconic vocal riff. And so I thought, oh, well, this is a no brainer. Alanis wins because so many of these riffs are so iconic and important. And Weezer just doesn't live up to that in their in their guitar riffs. And so Chris said, No, I think we cover that in vocal performance. There that shouldn't be part of riffs. Riffs is lead melody played by an instrument, whether that be piano or guitar primarily. Um Guitar even. Yeah, sure. Guitar, um, melodica, mm-hmm. maybe? Harmonica even. Mm-hmm. Viola. Um, yeah, and so... Violoncello. And so I kind of I kind of disagree, but then at the same time I say, no, you know, we have an entire category
1: for, for singing. And the only reason we didn't call this category guitar... <laughs> is because we talk about records that don't have guitar in exactly, them. Exactly, we didn't want to disqualify them. So we called it riffs, but I do feel it should be instrumental melody parts and not necessarily catchy parts on different instruments, be it vocal or even drum and bass. Because we have a rhythm section in the next category.
0: Yeah. So that being said, I want you to tell me, which of these riffs is more iconic? This. Or this. Or even this.
1: If the question was, which one am I annoyed the most by, <laughs> I have a clear answer. <laughs> yeah, I figured.
0: But I mean, think about those latter two. You know, I think those have far surpassed Weezer's um,
1: sort of... Alanis's vocals are more significant than Weezer's guitar. Yes. If that's what you're talking about, the argument is more fundamental as to, should we be talking about vocals in this category? And my argument would be no, for all the reasons we talked about.
0: I think you're right. I agree with you. Okay, cool. So... I'm glad I got my point out there. Yeah. And Six episodes
1: in. I think we're figuring this thing out.
0: Slowly but surely. And uh, if that's the case, if we're talking like lead instrumentals here, <laughs> would name one from Jagged Little Bill.
1: Uh, the riff from All I Really Want. The guitar riff. The Mixolydian guitar riff. Which, Chris, you want to explain that to the people?
0: Uh, we are. <laughs> I can I now. I can.
1: <laughs> I can. I'm just joking.
0: Uh, like a time loop. <laughs> People are like, wait a minute! Did I hit backwards? Yeah. Did I accidentally hit skip back fifteen seconds like eighteen (laughs) hundred (laughs) times?
1: Does Corona cause dementia? Whoa, man.
0: Uh, So yeah, if that's the case, then Weezer landslide victory on riffs. I mean, there's basically nil instrument playing on this record when it comes to like heavy when it comes to guitars. Yeah, when it comes to guitars or keyboard. Yeah. So,
1: by the way, there there is a lot of organ on this record. But it's mixed very low, yet it's performed by, do you know who? Chrissy, guess this. Who plays organ on Jagged Little Pill? You you clearly don't know, and I'm very excited to I tell read
0: it. I read it on Wikipedia, but it clearly was not a name that I remember, or know. Well, it's
1: a name you would definitely remember, because I don't know another human with this name. Oh, jeez. Benmont
0: Tench. What's the first and last name? I couldn't even decipher Benmont. Oh, I, it's, I thought tench. it was Ben-mont-tench. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Benmont-tench
1: huh aka that sounds like a harry potter character <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just the son of a lawyer from florida huh and who else is from florida tom petty that's right this is the organ player and piano player from the heartbreakers
0: dude get out of here
1: yes jeez, they brought in the ringers for this shit
0: wow yeah, yeah seriously i guess now is the time to talk about the the guest artist uh who who played on this let's
1: talk board. about the guitarist
0: oh yeah dave navarro from jane's addiction
1: and, at the time, Red Hot Chili Peppers.
0: Yeah, crazy. It's so funny because you listen to uh, You Ought to Know, and like that bridge breakdown sounds exactly like Aeroplane.
1: Absolutely. Sounds exactly... Like exact- musically, even devoid of guitar, Like it kind of has that same spacey quality. Yeah, basically the same song <laughs> <laughs> at that point. My favorite contribution of his, honestly, in that song is the second repeat of the last chorus when he just goes to the high-bent note. Oh, cool. Now, neutered tone... But a really cool choice, a minimalistic choice, but a really good one. It's honestly kind of like we hear in Pork and Beans by another Red Album track by by Weezer. Let's talk Red Album all day. <laughs> all day, baby. Yeah. What a way to spend a quarantine. Um, I'm giving my points to Weezer, too. Okay. Just because I haven't said that yet. Though- Here's a good time to talk about some harmonic progressions that stood out to me. There's a really sweet and dissonant chord progression in Wake Up, which is the closing, the proper closing track to Jag a Little Pill. It uses chromaticism and suspended and augmented chords and some sweet pedaling by the bass as well. You yeah, like
2: pain, but only if it doesn't hurt.
1: And then the chord progression in the back half of the verses to Forgiven is very Beatles-esque in its use of augmented chords as well. Mm. And augmented chords are just this. Think of a C major chord, right? C, E, and G, white keys on the piano. If you take that top note, which is G, and raise it just to the very, very next note, the next black key up, just one half step, it's called in music, uh, that's a G sharp. That's what an augmented chord is. So you take a normal major chord and just raise the fifth, or that... That last note, one note higher, and it creates a really sweet sound. It's like, if you ever want to hear one in a really prominent spot, listen to the beginning of Oh Darling by the Beatles, the very first chord. That's an E augmented. That's not stuff you hear a lot in the 90s. Certainly not by really popular artists. And it always stood out to me when an artist did that. Now that, um, Forgiven, is not a single, so it's not a, something I ever thought about. Like, oh, you know who did that pretty well? Morissette and Ballard. On a
0: random-ass song. <laughs>
1: right. They're like Lennon and McCartney.
0: <laughs> That's it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> D- the dynamic duo.
1: Alanis would definitely be the Lennon in this case. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> By a mile. Um, Not the Doctor starts off with an acoustic riff, and we always talk about the acoustic arpeggios on Blue Album being mm-hmm. so great, and, and Not the Doctor has a very distinct acoustic riff worthy of like Dave Matthews' band. But I don't like it. It's tough when our opinions are
0: so uh, against the, the music we're talking about and still trying to stay objective. I found
1: that kind of challenging. Right, well, I, so I did mention earlier how I liked Alanis's harmonica work on Hand in My Pocket, a mm-hmm. sleeper favorite of mine but easily the worst riff on the record is her harmonica solo on Head Over Feet
0: Yeah, awful
2: Round 7 section
0: all right Weezer's commanding lead just got commanding her oh you said you <laughs> said it nine to three guys Alanis is gonna have to dig herself out of that hole she needs to take that hand out of her pocket and get both hands digging so moving right along another category that is kind of stacked in Weezer's favor here well it's funny I mean if I could score a tie I would in this category really, really? you're that disappointed. In Weezer's rhythm section.
1: Well, uh, so, I'm going to give the point to Weezer. Same. The drumming on Blue Album far surpasses the drumming. Or lack thereof. drum of. sounds <laughs> on uh, on Jagged Little Pill. Mm-hmm. But the bass playing, the real bass playing. The real bass playing. On Jagged Little Pill by Flea and a fellow named Lance Morrison, who's like an acclaimed session bass player, is really top notch. It's almost like too good for the record. yeah. And it particularly stands out in contrast to the synth bass that is utilized by Ballard on certain tracks.
0: Right. There's that really tough inconsistency. Yeah. uh, That makes it really challenging. And I don't even think they really had much. It doesn't go that way for drums. Drums are pretty lackluster throughout the record.
1: Right. And there are organic drums, but even just like their tone, they don't pack the same punch. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So Weezer has better drumming, but Alanis has better bass playing
1: on a few tracks. Yeah. So. But like compared to basically no compelling bass playing on Blue Album. With the exception of, I guess one could say only in Dreams. Only in Dreams. I think Say It Ain't So has that little chromatic run, which is cool. Yeah. And you know something I noticed actually? Uh, I must admit, it's it had been a long time since I actually listened to Blue Album. Like I listened to it in preparation for our first episode of this show, which was now months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did the old Chrissy Shuffle here where I put Blue Album and Jagged little Pill on a single playlist on Spotify and shuffled it.
0: Nice. It's a great experiment. For works, the ex- it works
1: really well. For the experience, and I thought it was illuminating. It was really cool to hear. But anyway, one of the things that I noticed, I noticed a lot of rhythm section stuff. But one thing I noticed was in the choruses to Buddy Holly, which we've all heard hundreds of times at this point, certainly dozens, Matt Sharp, so the, the chord progression goes A to D to E, right? Just one, four, five in the key of A. Matt Sharp, when it goes to the four chord, actually goes down to an F sharp, which creates an inverted chord sound where he's taking the third of a D chord and putting it in the bass versus playing D in root position. Right. That's a really cool choice.
0: It makes me wonder if he came up with that or if Rivers told him to play that. I'm not sure. Or if maybe they did it by accident and it just sounded good, because inverting a chord is great. I mean, that's huge in, in
1: jazz theory. Uh, very common. Um, yeah, and in piano, it's something voice you do leading. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. But uh, I was like, wow, you know, I, I do remember noticing that in years past, but it just been such a long time since I paid attention, I have to admit. Mm. You know, and I was like, oh, that's a cool choice. Wherever it came from, I thought, that stands out to me. And it really makes for a thick sound. Right. Because instead of going up to a D... Which is how you would travel from A to D unless you had a 5 string bass, which Matt Sharp certainly does not play. Um, you actually find a thickening effect of going down to a note and then down to E from there. I
2: don't care what they say about. Us anyway.
1: In a way, I think it kind of spoils the fact that then it goes to F-sharp minor. Do you know what I mean? So you've already played the F-sharp, so you've almost spoiled that uh, note. yeah. But in a way, it was but actually unified. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it was cool to recontextualize the same note behind a different chord. Absolutely. You know, so I thought that was pretty clever. Um, I got to say, though, our beloved Mr. Wilson really stood out to me, and particularly his work on things like Surf Wax, America. Dude, that's one of his best tracks. Yeah. Like, listen to the insistence of this drumming in the bridge.
2: All along the undertow is Drake
1: That's some assertive punk rock drumming right there. It is. Serving the song, developing in a beautiful way, in a very organic way. I think we've actually been giving Wilson, in particular, a short shrift a little bit, saying, I mean, he gets better. This is an okay record. This is a really good drumming performance throughout Blue. Yeah. No, I have no complaints at all. Yeah. I think he sounds great. I, I think it's just because their next record, Pinkerton, is so much more freewheeling way and more dynamic. Way more Yeah. Swings more. A mm-hmm. lot more variety of fills.
0: Exactly. He's got more room for what we call his little hiccups right. that we love so much. Right. But there's I... very little
1: room for that on this. Correct. Yeah. Well, we used to have the we had the ill fill alert. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah, yeah. I don't think we could really use that on blue album. But I could do ill feel alert. You know what I mean? Because mm. the kick drum variations throughout some of these songs are just so cool. And again, big fan of some of the bass work on Jagged Little Pill, but hate the drum sounds, particularly the program drum sounds, but even the organic drum sounds don't don't even compare to Blue Album. Round eight, sequencing and arranging.
0: All right, well, in case you have not been keeping track at home, let's do some quick maths. Weezer has just won. <laughs> unfortunately for Alanis Morissette. Uh, What's the score, Chrissy? It is 11 to 3.
1: That was good math.
0: So there is no way.
1: Let's do some math. Weezer has just won. <laughs> I didn't know you meant in our own fucking heads.
0: Well, that's why I said quick math. When you say maths, it means in your head.
1: Oh, see, I didn't know that. I wasn't hip to that. Mm-hmm. I'm so old, it's been a long time. That may be that new math.
0: You know, I love listening to British people talk about math because that's that's the proper way to say it. Maths. Maths. It's I plural. Say it. I just bit my tongue. I know, with your speech impediment. <laughs> Math. <laughs> but seriously, they they pluralize it for some reason. And every time I watch Great British Baking Show, which is one of my favorite shows ever, as I'm sure most of you would agree, they're always like, oh no, I was never good at maths.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is and, and I'm just like,
0: what? Because at first me and Tito were just like, wait, are these people idiots? Like, are they just stupid? But like, no, that's literally how they say it. <laughs> Really,
1: really. It's like, fun. I don't think you're good at Englishes.
0: Exactly. You're not good at the Englishes. <laughs> anyway, uh <laughs> so yeah, at, at this point, there's no way for Atlantis to win this. But there is a possibility that she can be in less of a
1: deficit than she is right now. That's so right. let's let's finish the conversation. The most lopsided victory we've had so far, and I'm not going to name the episode, but was 14-6. 14-6 was the most lopsided. Yes. So we'll just keep that in mind as we go through. It's 11 3 currently. Chris doesn't even remember which one that is, but no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't want to say because I don't like spoiling the outcomes of previous episodes. Absolutely. You, you can listen, you can listen to these in any order you choose. I can safely say, though, if you're an Alanis head, you were brought to the podcast by her, you are probably not listening to other of our podcasts.
0: Probably not. We're not exactly... I don't know if it's because we're not the target market. Um, I
1: think that's a huge part of it.
0: Yeah, but I... I, I can please, see these songs it, for what it,
1: they are, though, and I talked about how much I admire the lyrical content.
0: I, I admire Alanis Morissette as a, as a human and as an artist.
1: Oh, I really Hugely. like her. Hugely. I, here's the thing, I like smart, authoritative people in any field, and I think you agree with this. Absolutely. Like that, that, what, tell people like what uh, about that podcast. you've Benito been
0: Mussolini. Like,
1: <laughs> I didn't say authoritarian, <laughs> I said authoritative. Oh boy. Yeah, well, Chris has been listening to this Dictators podcast, but also you listen to this podcast called Ologies.
0: Yeah, man, I really do. It's, uh... Ologies is a fantastic podcast uh, It's hosted by this great uh, woman named Allie Ward and she just goes through every episode she talks to a different expert in a field mm. um, and she just uh, she's a fantastic interviewer and and I guess to your point about authoritative people who know what they're talking about it's yeah anyway great show
1: yeah and I think I think the cool thing with Alanis is like she gets it she's in on it the way that she's handled the who's you ought to know about showed up in a Kirby Enthusiasm episode and kind of riffed on it. Uh, showed up as God in Dogma. I was alert.
0: I was really excited to talk about that. Yeah. That's, that was the first time I found out who Alanis Morissette oh, was. really? Was watching that movie. Wow. I, that's one of my favorite movies. Really? Still? Probably, probably top 20.
1: Wow. I, I've seen it so many times, I think that's why. Um. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, we are just talking about music. We're talking about music through the lens of music that we love, trying to be as objective as possible, right? But I think which is challenging to do, absolutely. And there's times when I go, I can't believe that elementally, this album is breaking down this way because I like I like this album, yet it still doesn't compare to this album. You know, so in this case, this this and Tragic Kingdom were the two albums that I had spent the least amount of time with ever, and the two albums that I was least excited to talk about. And I would say. Through doing this research, through doing this deep listening and note-taking, for good reason. Like, this music isn't really for me. Right. You know? But... But you can still appreciate it. There's things I love about it. So, you know, holistically, no. Nowhere near Blue Elm for me. But I really dig it, and... I actually think that this category, sequencing and arranging, is one of its brighter spots, and I'm going to give Jagged Little Pill my point in this particular category. Jesus, the reason really? Is more songs, more elements, and it does And it's an album that has a ton of singles, but it doesn't suffer from being too front-loaded. That part's definitely true. You yeah. know, I think that they do a really nice job meeting out the quality tracks over the course of this record.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. When I was figuring out my skippability tracks and my heart songs. They're all throughout the record, so right. that's that's a really good point. I just i i would i'm still giving my point to Weezer, right? Um, just because i don't I don't really like a lot of the arranging of the music. I guess it it, it kind of lends itself to a, a production issue, um, in terms of of how they chose to to record the drums or bass or guitar. But I'm not I'm not wild about the arranging of a lot of these songs. I yeah. think I think the vocal arranging for the most part they did a really really nice job. Yeah. But when it really comes down to it, uh, I tend to put sequencing as a higher priority over arranging in this category. Blue's and and beat. blue blue is just so hard to beat. it. It's just every song flows perfectly into the next. You never are left waiting or wanting. Even though a lot of the songs do sound very similar, there's enough in there to break it up. I think the most monotonous transition is no one else into the world is turned because they they sound pretty similar and they're about the same subject matter once you listen to it
1: but that being said it's still well same subject matter from different angles and i i actually don't think they sound that similar but i know what you mean i i I know what you're getting at but i mean i think the acoustic guitar figure in world Is turned left me here sets it on a different kind of plane than uh no one else personally that's fair to my ears but i know what you mean it's like it's almost like so so even better if that's the most monotonous part of the record, it's still not, not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Well, the biggest takeaway from this shuffle from doing that playlist experiment like you've been doing for the past couple of records, I found it so unsettling when certain songs didn't lead into the song I was expecting from Blue. Oh, yeah. When Surf Wax oh, ended yeah. and Say It Ain't So did not start, it was like you're, it actually like my heart skipped a beat. It was yeah, weird. You're,
0: and your brain's just confused.
1: And fucking ironic came up. It's like, whoa. <laughs> How dare you, (laughs) Spotify? Yeah. You Swedish fucks. (laughs) Buy some Swedish fucks!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In a classic split category. Yeah. 12 to 4.
1: Been a little while since uh, Atlanta's got a point, so that that felt pretty good.
0: Definitely.
2: Round 9, skippability factor.
1: Two rounds left. And
0: four points up for grabs. With Weezer up 12-4. With two categories that are very challenging to be Weezer on, that's right. And this one, factor. none is harder than this one. This is yeah. This is their their strongest category. Absolutely, um, Weezer, which they have only been beat once.
1: That's true. Only once have they been. We beaten. won't say when. Not even
0: not even by both of us. That's right. Only one point. One point has, ever has ever beaten Blue Elm in this category.
1: And I have a hunch. This isn't going to be the album to do it either.
0: No spoilers yet. <laughs> But uh, so skipability factor is a very, very simple concept if for those of you joining us uh, as your first episode. Skip fa is basically are there any songs you would want to skip? Yes. Therefore, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll let no, you No, don't it. answer it yet. Sheesh. For us, blue album has a skip Fa of zero. And Atlantis has three. Uh, oh my god, jump the gun, why don't you? So you are premature today.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. You
0: need to decrease your sensitivity. Alan- just... Alanis's brothers didn't go blind but you might as well have I've just got all the lyrics <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I've got impressive.
1: all I can't believe your recall for lyrics it's really impressive that's
0: the only thing I got <laughs> but uh so uh blue album zero songs we'd want to skip we would listen to the whole album cover to cover hence why we have decided to make it such a epitaph and, and kind of the backbone of this whole podcast
1: epitaph
0: pretty good word right
1: uh, yeah I thought it was' not epithet
0: no I don't even know what that means uh, so for me I did have four songs on this record that I would skip uh, I can't
1: believe you have more than I I have more? yeah
0: wow I, I was
1: I was sincere when I said three
0: funny enough I have pretty much all the songs that you had as hard songs I had a hunch uh, Perfect Head Over Feet Mary Jane and Not the Doctor
1: okay are my we, we have a shared one in there Not the Doctor is a shared one
0: mm-hmm. I want to see if I can guess the other two I have a feeling it's Ironic yeah. is one of them for sure, and then I'm gonna say if it's not one of those. Oh, oh, I know it's uh all I really want. That's right.
1: Okay, start with you ought to know. Imagine that as an album opener, as a career opener. As I mean, well, it's not a career opener. This is our third record. But I mean, f- we there was
0: for the most most humans. Would yeah be, yeah don't yeah, I mean know it's a complete
1: reinvention year. I mean I, I, an American or worldwide yeah her first two are only
0: released in Canada so. right
1: and but. I gotta say you know the first time I ever saw Lance Morissette? in truth it wasn't actually the you ought to know video which I did see some Saturday morning as a 12 year old um it's actually she used to be on you can't do that on television which was a Nickelodeon show that I watched as a child I can't remember her specifically but I remember reading that in her bio or hearing it in an interview back in the 90s and being like whoa I don't remember her at all. She must. She was like twelve or something. But she acted on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like a cast member of. If so you I was, remember correctly, I didn't research that. Like
0: a cast member, what is it? Like a sketch comedy show,
1: or it's tough to really describe what it was. But that's where people start got got slimed.
0: Yeah, that know, was
1: the first slime show. That's the first one I ever saw before Slime Time Live. Before Slime Time Live, man, this was Slime Time pre-taped. Jeez, yeah. Were you a Nick Kid or a Disney Kid? I never had Disney. Never. No, not until it was like standard on digital cable in the late nineties. I we would get the free Disney weekends and literally tape for a full six hour tape. Just we would tape it all weekend. Wow, what was on
0: it? Like, uh, are, well, like you know, shows, shows,
1: movies, movies, some shows, Kids Incorporated, Mickey Got Mouse it. Club, but also like a Hard Day's Night. The first time I ever saw a Beatles movie, a Hard Day's oh, oh, Night, wow. was from a free Disney weekend. Was
0: that your first Beatles movie, Hard Day's
1: Night? Uh, that and Help I saw very young. Yeah, Help was mine. You would think it would have been Yellow Submarine, but Hard Days Night and Help. No,
0: I saw I saw Help like probably four or five times before I saw Yellow Submarine.
1: Yeah, what do you and like I Help?
0: It. Yeah, it's so fun. as As a kid, it's fantastic. So funny. It's super like funny. the very end where they're painting him orange on the beach. Like that's so ridiculous.
1: The premise of the movie Help. You guys should watch this movie. It's really fun. Like the premise is so outlandish, mm-hmm. considering the premise of their first film. A Hard Day's Night is literally a couple days in the life of the Beatles. Right. And then the premise for Help, which is like two years later, is completely insane. It's like an actual movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. A, a, a true plot. Yeah. Based around essentially, where would you like to go in the world? Let's write it into the script. Yeah. So they went skiing in Switzerland and they went to the Bahamas or Bermuda. Yeah, and they went yeah. to all these different places. What
0: is the fourth track on Help? <laughs> I, I'm, I figured you would know this. I don't Off know. Off the
1: top of your head. It's the... Um... It's Only Love? Because it starts with Ticket to Ride, right? Yeah. No, Help. No, yeah, Help is the opening track. Ticket to Ride was the first single. And in fact, my mom had the forty has still, I, I have it here in this house, the 45 to Ticket to Ride. And underneath it, it says, from the forthcoming film, Eight Arms to Hold You, because that was the original name of Help, the movie. Really? And they changed it to Help. So huh. she has it, but here's what's great. That's like a pretty cool collector's item. Yeah, you know, no To kidding. have that. She crossed it out as a child and wrote Help. <laughs> wow. She was like, no, that's not the it's movie. It's like, that's not it. Yeah. Wow. And Help came out when she was like six. So.
0: Oh, I feel an idiot. Oh, I was I, I was feel thinking an of, idiot. I feel an idiot. It was actually, I was thinking of the third track, which is You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. Great song. Because I used to do these uh, lip syncing concerts for my parents. Nice. And that was one? And that was one of my would favorites. Would you get them to go, hey? No, no, you no. You would
1: do it yourself. Did, would you And would you pantomime the flute solo?
0: Probably not. I don't think Would you move I...
1: out your recorder and actually play it? <laughs>
0: I was too young cuz at that point I was probably like only like 7. Like I was really young. But I used to I, that was like one of my favorite things to do. I would like sit my mom down because she, you know, was a stay-at-home mom and sure. took care of me and I would be like, "Okay, I've got a concert for you." Oh I'm going to do three songs and I would just like walk around and like
1: act and like just lip sync my so favorite cool. songs for her. That you know, we had this in common. I used to do the same thing to my GMO. Really? We'd put on even Steve and I would put on concerts for Gmo. When we were prepping for like playing a party or something in mm-hmm. our duo, we would be like 7 seven thirty after dinner, concert in your room. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I would before I could even play guitar, I had a guitar. It only had five strings because one of the tuning pegs broke off, and you couldn't even tune it or tighten it to put a new string on. It was like my dad's guitar, um, and I would play like alternative rock covers for her, like Jeez. Beck deep cuts, wow. Under the Bridge, and she was just like, Yeah, she was. I think. She just humored me. It's very sweet. Course, yeah. I wrote no a kidding. song about it, actually, because uh-huh. it's like, I, that's the first time I ever played for anyone. Wouldn't right. Be just for her. Weirdly, I would never played for my mom or dad, but my grandmother would come visit from New Jersey, and I was like, gee. Gotta show you something. Well, at the time, it was Grammy.
0: Right. <laughs> you, when you got older, she had to kind of- It had to be hippified. Hip hip to the drive. Yeah, that's right. G-mo. That's right. So Gmo mo
1: or just straight up G.
0: Well, I mean, she's, you know, she's the OG of the Landusky clan, so. Yeah, the Landusky clan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our Wu-Tang Clan episode for that story. Uh-huh. Well, you can tell we're really tired of talking about this record because we're talking about anything but. Um, maybe just my quick thoughts.
0: Regarding? Ironic. Okay.
1: Hit me. I don't even care that the premises and ironic are not ironic. I mean, that's been said and done, and we all know that. I don't even care. It's just a stupid song. <laughs> it's just a dumb song. It's a really well-written pop song, and I know why it's popular, and, the, the I mean, the hook is really strong. Very strong. But I listened to it once in preparation for this and legit couldn't bring myself to listen to it multiple times. I know this. It's fine. I skipped it every time. And (sighs) for those of you who have heard our previous episodes, I've been a big proponent of just because it's overplayed doesn't mean it's bad. Think of it for what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, be it Enter Sandman, Don't Speak, Everybody Hurts. These were all songs that, uh, you know, in any of the Pearl Jam uh, singles. I was just like, it doesn't matter. Like, alive, because alive almost didn't make your exactly. heart songs. And I was like, dude, it's alive, you know? Yeah. And you, you know, in your defense, you didn't meet to convince you. You had come upon that yourself, but just saying your process, I was like, man, like, we can't forget how good these songs are.
0: Yeah, they, they become singles for a reason and they become as popular as they are for right. a
1: reason. And I think Ironic became so popular because it's easy to understand. Mm. it's easy to identify with on a certain level it's somewhat humorous but not humorous enough. humorous enough to be funny as far as I'm concerned and it's catchy as all hell it is but god I don't like it and actually I didn't know this fact about it and I was actually compelled by this fact uh, I listened to there's a really cool podcast called Records Revisited and it, and. Uh, I have to say, I only heard it in the past couple weeks, and they do something kind of similar to what we do, where they will have a guest on, generally, and talk about a record chosen by the guest, and they will score each song by a number, with the best song on the record, their favorite song on the record, being the total number of tracks. Mm -hmm. So if we were talking blue, whatever your favorite song is on blue, Say It Ain't So For Me, that's my 10. My least favorite song will get a one, and then they would try to find consensus, you know, all right, what's the highest scoring song between the three of us after they go through the whole for discussion? For sure, for sure. So they had the singer-songwriter Kaylee Shore, a Nashville-based singer-songwriter, on to talk about Jagged Little Pill. And I was like, oh, great, I'm going to listen to that. I've been Perfect. listening to other episodes of theirs, so I listened to this. They also did a 10 episode, which I also listened to. And they have a Blue album episode. Uh, they did not like the back half of Blue, I have to say. I was huh. very surprised. They were like, only in dreams. What the fuck is this song? Ah, oh, well, fuck them. <laughs> but I learned on that podcast that ironic that verse about it's like meeting the man of your dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife mm-hmm. the original line was meeting his beautiful husband oh cool which the label was like we can't do this what apparently they denied it they're like that is
0: it's like a less offensive version of pink triangle yeah
1: it's an amazing line yeah because it sets Be- up so perfectly for- exactly it's even better than it's like
0: ah, oh, i can't have you but not for the reason that i thought right
1: it's it's what billy wilder would called like the Double punchline—the punchline on top of the punchline. The punchline yeah. is going to be meeting the man of dreams, meeting his beautiful wife. That's fine enough. Mm-hmm. Meeting his beautiful husband, especially if she, if, especially if it was the original rhyme scheme, right? You know what I mean? Where wife is the setup line, you mm-hmm. know the setup word, and uh, oh, and then it doesn't rhyme on and top. It doesn't of that, rhyme. Yeah, yeah, I oh, love that shit. It would destroy. Love that shit. And I guess Kaylee Shore covers this with her band from time to time, and she's like, whenever we do, I do the original lyric of of husband. And the crowd goes wild. She's like, it always lands. Especially these days. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. But it's just better. It's just like better writing. Yeah. You know, so kudos, Alanis. Fuck the label. Fuck that the w- label. That would have been so amazing. Yeah. Would it have been as popular? I think it would have been more popular. I agree. It would have been something people talked about. Totally. For, good, for better reasons, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, Then sure. the, that's not ironic.
2: Round 10, closing track.
0: Fourteen to four, Weezer commanding lead. Can Alanis Morissette tie our biggest upset, or will she be? <laughs>
1: this is what we're holding on to. Can she not be the biggest upset ever? I won't say upset, but biggest landslide. The
0: biggest landslide victory. Uh, I think she is gonna be because I don't really like "Wake Up" as a song. You don't or, like it in or a closing track. That I, wasn't
1: a skip file for you, right? No, it is. Oh, that was a skip file. Mm-hmm. Oh, I missed it. Yeah. Wow. So why do you? Why uh, uh, I feel like we didn't give the skip fa enough attention on your and why, why is it a skip fa?
0: I don't know. It's just like by the time I get to that song, I think I'm either I'm a little fatigued mm. from hearing the record, and I just don't. It, there's nothing really about that song that stands out. Gotcha. To be honest. Yeah. Um. So it's not a song I hate, but it's not a song that I'm like super eager to listen to. But it's
2: easy not to
0: And so then it, it, I guess we could bring up the debate of is Wake Up, the the official 12th and final track, is that the closing track or is it the hidden track, Your House, after the, the You Oughta Know remix? Right. Um, and for those of you who haven't heard Your House.
2: So forgive me, love, if I cry in your shower. So forgive me, love, for the salt in your mouth. So forgive me, love, if I cry all afternoon.
0: Just an insanely raw and vulnerable acapella song.
1: That's a wrote. tremendous amount of digital reverb. Yeah, that. <laughs> but um, but great performance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well written song, mm-hmm. and I think the fact that it stays a cappella is what makes it so powerful.
1: So good. Because I think
0: honestly, I think it would be a really good song if you if you added maybe not even um, drums, but if you added like a little guitar, like some uh, like make it an acoustic song. Yeah, um, or
1: do a droney keyboard thing like Sinead O'Connor on uh, "Nothing Compares to You." That, that kind could of work. Deal, that you could know? work.
0: But I think even as is, I think it's good. I, if your house is the official final track. I would give it to that. If it's wake
1: up, I give it to Weezer. This is a tough debate, you know, because we've had a hidden track already on the on our previous record, which was Pearl Jams 10, where release ends and then you know a minute later or whatever, this instrumental dated instrumental piece emerges called Slave. Mm-hmm. Like if that's the closing track, then there's no way Pearl Jam wins. right. That's way worse than only in dreams. But as it stands, release was really competitive. Exactly. And so we went there with that one. I think of Nirvana Nevermind as the prime example of this. And I actually just called it up on Spotify uh, earlier today to look. Because the 12th track on that album is... And 12th and final track on that album, as far as I'm concerned, is Something in the Way. And then there was always the secret track called Endless Nameless. Which is just this heavy, sludgy thing. And it's cool. And it's how they would close their live shows at the time. It was great. But it was never the proper final track, but on Spotify now, it's actually cataloged as track 13. Wow. Now, for me, Something in the Way, that's a really competitive closing track. It has such a haunting quality to it. It stands out from the rest of the record. It's a well-written song. It has a lot going for it. Endless Nameless is is not a good song. It may be like Awesome Live, but it's not a good song. There are hidden tracks. Usually, they're hidden for a reason, and they're rarely hidden because they're so good that they shouldn't be on the main record. Right. They're hidden
0: because it's like, here's a little extra. It's almost like a B-side.
1: Yeah. It's like, here's one little extra thing that you get. And the 90s were huge for this. One, because CDs allowed for it. and, and just gave you that extra time. CDs by the mid '90s could fit 80 minutes, right? You know, whereas vinyl, while still maintaining good sonic quality, could only give you about 40 minutes total—20 minutes per side was like the max you could get out of a vinyl.
0: Man, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Why Tommy is four vinyls?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because then, honestly, the sound would start to suffer. You know, the grooves would get oh, more if shallow they're, like, and close. shallowing exactly. The grooves. Yeah, 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 sure. So, so that was kind of—it was just like an actual practical reason. So then, CDs just exploded in their length mm-hmm. by the '90s. I'm inclined to go with the final proper track in general in this topic, and I doubt there'll be many instances when the hidden track would tip it either way.
0: Yeah, probably not. I mean, you know, th- this is this is one of those examples. This is though. one of the
1: examples, which is why it came up. Where like with Pearl Jam, we didn't even talk about "Slave." It was like, well, clearly, release is the closer. Yeah. But if "Slave" was like this killer Eddie Vedder acapella thing, we'd be like, well, I. Don't I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> you know? And I will say for me, your house, wake up, whichever it is, it does not beat only in dreams. I love only in dreams. I think it's one of the again one of the great closers on any record in the '90s, and I have something new to say about it today as we continue on. So it didn't really matter, but your house made it really close in my mind. I agree. I
0: just think it's so. I mean, it epitomizes everything that she's talked about in the album with no bullshit, right? No extra. It's just her. All, not stream of consciousness but it's basically there's not really a rhyme scheme there's no verses there's no choruses it's just like her telling a story yeah. and she happens to be singing it it's and a good melody I, yeah I think so that's yeah. why I think it could have if you if you put instrumentation to that that's a single mm. in my opinion yeah Um. it's really I love that song I think yeah, it's, I
1: wonder if I should have see like this is how bad I am at even considering the hidden track stuff uh, is that I mean this is arguably a heart song for me now your, that doesn't your house, tip, yeah, nice. Because that doesn't tip that c- category still. Because I still have six to uh, it would be five for Atlantis. Even if this was a heart song, but like I, I always wanted to listen to it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good, even though it's like spare and like demands a certain amount of attention. Well, that's
0: a very Chris Knot song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really is. It's it, that's sad bastard music. right It there. is probably her
1: best, my favorite vocal performance of hers on the record. I because she actually sings. Yeah. She doesn't do anything crazy. She does some of those high octave leaps mm-hmm. at the end of words, but. It really works in that context, yeah. You know, and it makes it more dynamic.
0: You know, what we should do. We should write. We should write some music for that. Oh, that'd be and interesting. Then put huh? her. Put her voice over it. Oh, the and, cri- and mix something.
1: The C&C uh, Music Factory remix. That'd be kind of cool. Oh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, C&C for Chris and Chris, of course. Obviously. So here's what I noticed about only in dreams, which is going to take it for me. It takes it for you as well. Yeah, if we're comparing it to wake up, then absolutely. Um. Here's a really cool thing. I've never noticed this in my life. I've heard only in dreams, legitimately, you know, hundreds of times in my life. Right. Listen to Pat Wilson's ride cymbal work in the bridge. I know this is hyper-specific, but I think it's one of those things that even big Weezer fans maybe have never noticed, because obviously we are big Weezer fans. I'm a particularly big fan of this song and this album. And I've never in my life noticed the pattern to his amazing ride cymbal work. I know that was a long clip, but are you feeling me?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a stretch, but I I, I definitely. What do you talk? What what do you mean a stretch? Well, you know, he just he just goes half time and then he breaks it in half again, and then he cuts out, and then he has that one. He never, round,
1: he never he, cuts out. He becomes it becomes whole notes. I
0: guess so. Yeah, it does. It just feels long. Because
1: goes one two three four one two three four one right two, and then it starts. So as a musician, he's
0: he's just you know subdividing and yeah but but i mean that's that's part of a build i might not think of it as a big of a deal as you but i still think it's cool
1: but purposeful yes exceedingly purposeful of course, of course. exceedingly intentional exceedingly organized and i think it's inhuman, kind of a, well I, I think weirdly inhuman because literally it's almost algorithmic more than it is like i'm playing off that arpeggiated guitar that's happening or this thing that's happening or the baseline that's happening it's saying i'm doing this regardless <laughs> it's it's almost like an equation Mm. Yeah, well, it truly is an equation. But playing with that intention, I think, sums up the entirety of Blue. There may not be as much breath, swing, humanity as there is on Pinkerton, but there is such thoughtfulness to mm-hmm. every choice on the record, to every note on the record. Absolutely. And it's something that Weezer still continues to practice to this day. Oh, no even on They're their- one of the
0: most intentional bands out there. Yeah. Even if it's just Rivers.
1: Yeah. You know? So I'm I definitely agree with you there. Here's I think the cool thing about that, almost anyone who picks up a drumstick, drummer or not, could do what Pat Wilson just did. Absolutely, but almost hold. no one would think to do it. Almost no one would say here in the middle I've of a song,
0: yeah. just go from go from quarter notes to half
1: notes, yeah, to whole be- notes because like dynamics are about contrast, and you know we cut it off before it gets, pe- but I mean it it goes from like a nine dips down into the section we just heard and then goes up to an eleven. Right. You know? And that eleven would not seem as loud if not for what just preceded it. That's fair. Right. So hearing it devoid of context too is a little Definitely. unfair. But we can't we're not just going to play the whole song. We can't. Yeah. Um and then I mean it just builds the snare comes in and it just it just opens up. Doo, 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 when that release happens, now it's a full band execution, but I think everyone does their part. And Wilson does his part in a way that I just never quite grasped or understood or frankly noticed before because I was always thinking about the guitars or something. Right. You know? But uh, anyway, I think that's just some clever arranging and restraint by a very good drummer on a very good record. Don't get verklempt. That is one in a landslide. 16 4. 16 4. Here
2: is your winner, Weezer.
0: Biggest victory for Weezer yet! That's right. So, I guess this begs the question, as we always do. We've we've analyzed the record in our 10-category our fashion, as objectively as possible, but still being opinionated. The score aside, is it deserving? Is Blue Album better than Jagged Little Bill? For me, yeah. Yeah, same.
1: But I feel like it's too much of a landslide. I think that... What our categories fail to um, take into account is impact,
0: like social impact. Yeah,
1: yeah. Now we do our best to talk about it in terms of influence. If we think of Metallica commercializing thrash music, if we think of Eddie Vedder as a singer, if we think of REM saying it's okay to be quiet in this time of alternative rock, mm-hmm. and other bands followed suit, counting crows and things like that. Like, probably wouldn't do what they did if not for like so influence. I, because that's really tough for us to gauge. Of course. I just made a couple of arguments demonstrating the influence of some of the records we talked about, but I do think it's tougher to quantify and it's certainly impossible to make it subjective and yeah. purely objective. No doubt. You know, cuz I can talk about how much a record influenced me. Jagged Little Pill, not at all. Blue Elm, tremendously. You know, Wu-Tang Clan, not at all. 10, tremendously. So, you know, it, it, that's not always reflected in the score either. Sure. And yeah. and um I've always erred on the side of being really fair to the competitors to the non-blue album, you know, I've definitely like pushed some points in the past where I go, I don't know. This goes against my better judgment, but yeah. Or like giving,
0: giving a heart song. To a song you might not love, but That's right. because it's here, it's it's better than the rest of the bunch. And I started
1: like getting that. away from that because, you know, uh, in Pearl Jam, I think I gave five heart songs and you were surprised. You thought I was giving seven or, you know, you thought for sure heart songs, Pearl Jam would win for me. Yeah. And, and I only gave it five because I was like, listen, if I'm being honest, these are the songs that I love today. These are the songs I still love. Right. And sometimes it's for nostalgic purposes and sometimes it's for just their quality. Sometimes songs sneak up on you. Like for me, Mary Jane, which we really didn't talk about at all, but like... I don't remember that song at all from having this record again. I bought this for my mom for a birthday in the 90s just because I wanted to have it in the house. Uh, I nice. was like, yeah, you you like that song about the theater? Happy birthday. Yeah, and I think she was happy to hear it, but like, I still think she has it with her CDs, which are not plentiful. It's still one of her CDs, and I don't have it with mine. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, right. Uh, in storage in her basement. Um, no personal connection. Uh, a certain repellent sound didn't help. Yeah. And a certain repellent vocal style just polarizing That's yeah all. i think this is the most polarizing record we've talked about for me yeah i would say so yeah I, like I've... if you don't like this record you really don't like this record probably right where if you like this record you probably love it yeah and I,
0: and i think loving this record is totally justified yeah
1: absolutely oh, absolutely and i'm glad that it will keep appealing to to young people for the rest of time it's one of those albums yeah like Absolutely one of those albums.
0: Yeah. So to wrap it up, more power to Atlantis, more power to strong-empowered women, and more power to great 90s music, whether we love it or not. Damn straight. Cool. So, Chris, you want to tell the folks what we're going to be talking about
1: on our next episode? Oh, I'd love to. Okay. This was a specific request from me for this week. Yes. I texted Chris about a, a week ago, and I said, hey, could we please jump this up in the order? Because I need to do an album that I know and love because I'm tired of listening to music and trying to like it.
0: What is the record oh, that yeah. you truly, truly love? Sure.
1: So, i spent a lot of time outside lately, away from people by myself, walking in the wild, mm-hmm. smelling the odors around me. What are those odors from? Mostly flowers. So, one would say wildflowers. One would say wildflowers. That's right, folks. Next time on Blue Album Battle, Tom Petty's solo record... That's right, not a Heartbreakers record, but still featuring Ben Montench. Ben (laughs) Montench. Very aristocratic name, is it not? Yeah, very. Tom Petty's (laughs) amazing, timeless, Wildflowers. 15 tracks, big to get through, probably double LP. Long. Rick Rubin produced. Oh, yeah. A little link there between Weezer and, and Petty. Really looking forward to it. Hope you guys enjoy it, too. Check it out on the next episode of... BLUE ALBUM BATTLE